I remember being out on a retreat and one of the guides saying, okay, when you go out on your, on your wander, on your hike, imagine that the earth is loving you back. And I was like, Mm. excuse me, what? You know, it was so (laughs) foreign to me, this idea that like, not only am I enjoying the presence of the earth and, and the natural surroundings, but perhaps the earth is enjoying my presence. Hey, I'm Maggie. I'm Pam. And I'm Laura. And you're listening to the Planetarian Life Podcast. Each week, we meet here to talk about our passion for food, our concerns for the earth, and discuss how we can align our hopes for the future while eating and living well, effortlessly. So today, we're talking to a very old friend of mine. I think you and I have been friends, Ashley, for... 10 years or maybe, gosh, maybe even more from our early food blogging days. And I was always just attracted to your spirit and your philosophy um, around food and your beautiful food photography, your family and books about creating connection through food and Mm. deepening relationships through food. And over the years, I've watched you transform from food blogger and food photographer to sort of a slow evolution, I feel like, and maybe it was in fast motion for you um, towards this degree that you got from the Seminary of the Wild and your certification for nature and forest therapy. And I, I just, I'm really interested to hear about how that transformation came about for you um, from the focus being on food to sort of the focus being on the earth and the food almost not being secondary, but almost that being, um, the primary connection point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it was definitely a slow evolution, kind of like everything in how my life has progressed is that I just started, I start following these curiosities of like, of what is, catching my eye at the current moment so like you said I've been gosh I've been blogging for about 15 years I was in the food industry for a while before then and so when I had when I first started blogging um and um let's see probably about four years ago my brother and I came together with our mutual love of the outdoors and food and we started Kitchen Unnecessary which is an outdoor cooking series and that began because we would do these huge camping trips every summer with um, my brothers and we each have three children so and then my parents were also there so there was a group of 17 of us just descending upon these campsites all over Washington State and like any experience, I always want to bring good food along with me. So I started playing around with cooking elevated meals over the campfire. Mm. And this idea for Kitchen Unnecessary was born out of that. And, you know, he and I, my brother and I were both curious about foraging and wild mushrooms and all of that. And so we started this series, which um, brought me back outside. I, I, it, it connected me to memories of being outside as a kid. Um, mm. One of our childhood homes, 
there was it backed up against these woods and I remember going out and finding wild huckleberries and just eating them in the woods and going on hikes with my dad and drinking water from a cold spring and you know mm-hmm. of course it, it's always connects to taste for me right like these mm-hmm. are the these are the memories that I have these taste memories but I started noticing that not only was I enjoying being outside but it was something was happening I was um, connecting to myself to the bigger picture to you know it was this physical mental spiritual emotional shift that was happening and I was getting curious about what is it that makes me feel so good when I'm outside um and that I just started reading a ton and trying to figure that out because that you know like this is this is a constant theme and you know if there's something that I enjoy and it makes me feel so good I immediately want to share it with other people which makes food you know a natural mm-hmm. um part of the process for me because if I taste something that's really good I immediately want to share it so hmm. um yeah so I started to like if this if this is good for me I bet it's good for many many people um and then you know the pandemic hit and I think a lot of people started realizing that because the outdoors was for the most part a safe space for us to enjoy um and I think people are really opening up and connecting to that um, and I think it's a huge part of the process and in, in what needs to happen in order for us to start to really heal the planet and heal ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, but again, it, it, like I said, for me, it always connects back to, to food. And so um, that is also always part of the process and, and food, you know, finding, especially finding wild foods like foraging and, and you don't even need to go far. I mean, there's so many wild foods that you can forage, like even in New York City. Yeah. Um, you know, that it just is such this reminder that the earth is also caring for us and that mm-hmm. wanting to feed us and nurture us. Yeah. It's interesting talking about memories of childhood and memories of being outdoors and you know, as we grow older, we kind of lose that, um, not all of us, I guess, some of us lose that connection to the outdoors. You know, I remember growing up and just spending pretty much from sunup to sundown in our backyard, building forts and riding bikes. And, you know, there's a famous story of my sister and I making cookies in our driveway and you know, the older you get, the more responsibilities you have. And of course, as our generation has come up, you know, we've become more technology focused and it's drawn us indoors uh, a lot more. So I think this is, you know, maybe something that's happened in the last, gosh, 30 years, you know, because of course my, my parents' generation, you know, they didn't have, they had TV, but they didn't have you know, the technology as we do now. And I think a lot of us have lost that connection to the outdoors. And just that that reminder of like, I do feel better when I'm outside. Yeah. I'm happier, uh, less anxiety or stress. Um, mm-hmm. Maggie, this is like the Park RX thing I was telling you about. Yeah. Like, I think it's in Canada where there's now... Um, it is an official like ability for doctors to prescribe 
parks, national park passes. So instead of like giving you medicine, they give you a pass to go just be in the national parks, <laughs> just go be outside. And I'm like, one, that is so stupid that doctors have to like write down for you, like go be outside. But it's like, we don't, I think as adults, we don't give ourselves permission to be outside unless a doctor tells us we're allowed to. Right. I also don't think that people realize how good it is for you. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm a very heart-centered person. And so, like, I like getting into the, the spiritual side of it and, and the feelings and all of that. But physiologically, it is extremely beneficial. And, and you know, like you mentioned, I just um, became a certified nature and forest therapy guide. And forest bathing began in Japan. And they, they did this massive study on the, the benefits of nature on our bodies because they started noticing that people were getting so stressed out as technology in the 80s was coming in and people were sitting inside at their computers. And so they conducted this massive study and found that indeed it is so beneficial. And so forest bathing in Japan is, is really physiologically focused. And they will actually take your vitals before you enter into the woods and then they will take your vitals at the end of it and stress levels are down. Mm. Um, you know, cholesterol, the uh, so, so, so many things. And I don't know if you guys have read these incredible or seen some of these amazing documentaries that are coming out about just how the trees communicate with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they can do that through the mycelial networks that are under the ground, or they can actually send chemicals back and forth. So if this tree over here is getting infested by a bug, it can send a chemical to the other trees around it so that then the trees will produce chemicals that will protect themselves from this invasion. Well, when we're out in the woods and we're inhaling these chemicals called phytoncides, they actually enter our bodies. I know I'm getting like super scientific. No, no, no. I'm like totally fascinated. I'm tell totally, me more. Yeah, tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. It speaks to the need for, um, for the why this does need to be a prescription. So we've got the phytoncides. They enter into our bodies and they become NK cells, which are natural killer cells. And those cells go out and seek out, um, you know, things that are, that are off in our bodies, cancer cells, you know, those, those sorts of things. And so it really is physiologically um, extremely beneficial. So I love seeing that Canada is doing this because, it is necessary for our health. And then there's all the, I mean, there's so many studies out there. There's the, the um, you know, the soil microbes and, you know, how important it is to be digging in the dirt for our own, you know, what's happening inside of us and all the good things that come from that. But um, it really speaks to the, the interconnectedness of humans and the earth and really all, all creatures on earth. Um, and it never ceases to amaze me how simple the answers often are. You know, um, what's good for us is good for the earth. What's good for the earth is good for just that sort of symbiotic relationship. Absolutely. It's this beautiful reciprocal relationship. And I feel like we're involved in more of a parasitic relationship right now. And we've lost that sort of the symbiotic nature of that. And, you know, obviously as I, um, 
started Planetarian Life and the more I learned about eating what I call a plant-rich diet, um, you know, you realize the health benefits of eating eating um, a diet that's primarily based in plants. And it's like, okay, not only is that great for your body, it's, it's great for the earth, you know, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, being outside in nature is good for the earth because we're really fostering that connection to the earth itself. And then we're getting, we're receiving back from that as well. Yeah. I think, I think my perspective is, is what I'm interested in is helping people to see that connection that's already happening. I mean, there's obviously big changes that need to be made. And, you know, like you described this, this sort of parasitic relationship. Um, But I think what I want to help people do is to open your eyes to see the, the reciprocity that is happening and then create that kind of that that interest and that intrigue in, in that relationship and so people want to foster more and more of that um but like you talk about too you know like it's happening it happens every time we sit down and have a meal every time we eat like we do have this beautiful intimate relationship with the earth we just need to open our eyes and be aware and be present to it mm-hmm. and I think the more we do that the more it just we, we want more of it. So what do you see as the best ways to rebuild that relationship? Hmm. That's a great question. I think there's so many ways. And I, because I need this for myself, I, I start simply. Um, I've, in my own life, I've just started to sit and watch, honestly. Like, <laughs> Like right sitting at right outside my window um, is this lilac tree. And when we first came to this house and saw it in spring about gosh, six or seven years ago now, the lilac tree was in bloom. And I remember not really noticing the tree itself, but like walking in and there just was this perfume of, of the lilacs. Um, and I just started noticing that tree not only when it's in bloom the two weeks in in early may usually is when she's blooming but watching her all year round and watching the birds that flit in out of her branches the little chickadees all throughout the winter that are um you know flitting in her branches and the more i sit and watch and my daughter has become part of that process too naming all the little black cap chickadees that that come in and um, the squirrels and all of that the more I care for that tree the all the creatures that are a part of her process and that she's providing for these animals Um, and that to me is such a a a simple example of fostering that relationship because that tree has a name these animals have a name, you know, just by me sitting and watching. It's like how we build any relationship with, with humans or, you know, um, a friendship takes takes time to foster and nurture. But the first step is, is learning the name and then getting to know them. But the more that you invest in, in that time and you get to know them, the more you care and that you want to care for that friendship and that relationship. Um, and I see, you know, when, when, when those flowers are in bloom and they are edible, it's part of my part of our relationship is to honor her and all those 
long months that she spent just in this kind of hibernation mode and all of a sudden you know she's in bloom and she only blooms for two weeks out of the year and I like do as much as I can to you know bring in bouquets of flowers share the bouquets with neighbors and make syrups and cakes and all these things you know just just honor that bloom and and that Mm -hmm. part of the life cycle so I guess a long way of answering that question is just I started paying attention and it's been such an incredible gift and it's so countercultural. it's so such the antithesis Mm -hmm. of, of how we think we should be spending our time because what do I have to show for at the end of 20 to 30 minutes sitting and staring at a tree (laughs) <laughs> nothing yeah. really tangible except except it's been life-changing you know yeah. I don't know how to describe it beyond that and I st- you know I, str- I struggle with that on a daily basis like it still is this we we live in such a culture of of accomplishments and upward mobility and all of this and like no but I really need to sit here and stare at this tree yeah. It's funny because if you talk, you said it's like any relationship. I feel like you're talking about, you know, the love languages and like you need quality time with the earth. Like it's, mm-hmm. it does sound like, <laughs> you know, like any relationship, like you have to actually sit and hang out with that person yeah. and spend time with them, you know, or else you're not going to have a connection. Yeah. And it involves us sitting and not doing anything and not talking and just doing this deep, deep listening and Maggie, like you were talking about earlier about kids being outside, I think a huge part of um, what we've lost as adults is our imagination. Mm-hmm. And that is a huge part of nature and forest therapy is kind of a reconnection to your imagination. Because what if, what if this tree could communicate with you? What if you allowed yourself to believe that for a minute? What happens mm. and what, you know, and kids are so so good at that they I remember doing the same thing like going out and playing for hours and hours and creating worlds and like these characters with the trees Mm. and the plants and um and the more I start to kind of reconnect with that the more I think okay maybe there's something there is something to this and even if there's not it's really fun to make belief (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) you know I think another thing that I've got I've received from our relationship, Ashley, is, you know, we, we, Ashley and I started talking on the phone a while back and I, I reached out to her because I knew, I knew that you had a, a similar philosophy and ethos to me and how we were beginning to kind of shift our understanding of our relationship to the earth and our responsibility to kind of live differently and I just wanted to be connected to other people who were grappling with the same questions and kind of up against the same challenges. And, you know, we've, we've joked several times that um, we're, we're the same, um, the same religion, just different denominations. And um, <laughs> which, which is great. Cause I think, you know, we, we come at this a little bit differently, but our underlying belief system is the same. And I'm so grateful because you um, suggested that I read the book um, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer, which I had never heard of before. And I think 
I would just highly recommend anyone to pick up a copy of that book and read it because, you know, as you were asking Laura about what are ways that we can kind of begin to rebuild that bond. And I think there's a real knowledge gap um, that exists. And part of it is, yes, like listening and meditating on, on nature in its purest forms but I think there's 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 a knowledge gap that needs to be filled in because we've lost this connection to the earth. And um, Robin Wall Kimmerer really brings this indigenous wisdom into into a format that even someone like myself can understand, and that really like resonates true on on the deepest of levels. And I would I would venture to say that that book has. Comp- like really it's like a consciousness altering book that that I think sets up the framework so that doing something like sitting with a tree or before this call we were talking about rock hounding you called it yes um (laughs) going and hunting for rocks these you know or or you know just seeing the world in a different way becomes more possible when you have a framework with it with within which to insert this information and this different yeah. understanding. So I think reading or even listening to podcasts or watching documentaries, you know, you mentioned a few of the documentaries that have come out, you know, f- fantastic fungi. Is oh, it called? Yeah. Um, a, yeah. life on our planet. a life on our planet. I mean, mm-hmm. these soil um these these documentaries these books they they help you to kind of make the shift i think in consciousness mm-hmm. and help you to begin to make that shift in your relationship with the earth and um one quote that you um that you shared with me i think even before i read the book and then of course it just popped out at me in neon lights when i read it Ashley, would you actually read that quote from Braiding Sweetgrass? Yes, I will read it happily. Knowing that you love the earth changes you, activates you to defend and protect and celebrate. But when you feel that the earth loves you in return, that feeling transforms the relationship from a one-way street into a sacred bond. Mm. Yeah, that's... um... That's yeah. a powerful quote. And I I think a lot of people love the earth. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people love the earth. But then yeah. when I when I read knowing that the earth lo- lo- knowing that you love the earth changes you, activates you to defend and protect and celebrate. I'm like maybe a lot of people don't yet know that they love the earth. Mm. Um Honestly, I think we've taught ourselves that we don't need the earth anymore. Like we stopped farming. We started building factories and living in cities and, you know, mm-hmm. so screw you, Maggie. But no, just kidding. Yeah. Like, I think we tried to convince ourselves that we don't need the earth. You know, mm. we're just here, but it's just a surface to live on. And that's not, yeah. you know, that's not true. Yeah. Yeah. We've definitely separated ourselves. Yeah. We've, we've definitely separ- separated ourselves and failed to recognize how much that we do need the earth and and Mm. rely on the earth but um yeah and i think you know i think 
spending time outside will definitely, or just spending time with something natural and wild and, and recognize, you know, taking that moment before you eat to say, okay, where is this coming from? And who has helped mm-hmm. to provide this? And, and what is this process? And, and kind of stepping into that process a little bit more. Um, but what I love about this quote, and this rings so true for me, and this was a huge turning point, is um, I remember being out on a retreat and one of the guides saying, okay, when you go out on your, on your wander, on your hike, imagine that the earth is loving you back. And I was like, Mm. excuse me, what? You know, it was so (laughs) foreign to me, this idea that like, not only am I enjoying the presence of the earth and and the natural surroundings, but perhaps the earth is enjoying my presence. Mm. And there's a quote by Andreas Weber called, feel yourself seen. And I think of that so often when I'm outside and, and that changed the relationship to me and made it feel reciprocal. Mm -hmm. And, and that was, I don't, I can't yet put words to why that's so important, but it wasn't this like me acting out of fear for, you know, and me like feeling like I'm just taking advantage of the earth. No, it's like we are in this beautiful relationship, like any relationship that we have, a loving relationship that we have with other humans is that, you know, there's this this give and take and this mutual enjoyment and this mutual appreciation. And I think it, you know, like so many incredible indigenous writers and leaders and wisdom teaches us is that we are a part of that. I think even just like loving the earth that isn't enough because that still can put us outside mm-hmm. of the relationship and you can still get into that, you know, like that religious mm-hmm. lingo that we've talked about too of, of dominion and, and, you know, we're in charge and, you know, like we're the managers mm-hmm. and no, 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 no. Indigenous wisdom never says that we are a part and that helps me to kind of step into that of like, um, it's not just me loving and protecting and defending the earth. It's like the earth is also fighting for that for us as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there are visuals. And in fact, you and I attended a, a lecture by Robin Wall Kimmerer and she, she showed sort of the different, the way that, you know, we as humans sort of visualize the earth. It's like a pyramid, you know, with, humans at the at the top of the pyramid um and then sort of cascading down through creatures and um and you know flora and fauna but it's a much more horizontal flat um visual i think is or cyclical cyclical or yes yes that's probably even better cyclical where every where all all creatures on earth all beings, all plants, you know, every, everything is on the same level, has the equal weight and equal importance and equal standing. And I think, you know, the problem is, is that we've just gotten out of whack with that, with that pyramid Mm. and thinking, as you said, you know, to be on top, you think, you know, looking down on everything else, we love it. So we protect it, but really to go to that next level, 
you have to understand, as you said, it's more of a cyclical relationship. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what makes the sacred bond possible. There are so many, as we say, there are so many denominations, for lack mm-hmm. of a better word, or so many different um, silos, I feel like, of, of coming, coming at this, for lack of a better word, problem of like, how do we heal our relationship with the earth? How do we save the planet? How do we address the climate crisis? Whatever kind of name you want to put on that. And I, you know, planetarian life kind of approaches it on the idea, quite an opposite idea, actually, I would say of a lot of the other sort of silos. The eye of the needle is very small um, <laughs> and not many people can fit through it. You know, not many people can can make their way to feeling like they're part of that um, denomination. And mm-hmm. what planetarian life aims to do is to pitch a much wider tent um, mm-hmm. that aims to to just really educate and inspire people and to just get on the path some, some way, somehow, you know, for some people it's, you know, changing the way that they're eating for, for a friend of mine, composting was this like huge gateway for her into changing her relationship with the earth. Um, for, for Laura here, it's, um, you know, plastics is, is really her, big mission and message and you know everyone has their 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 way of finding their way onto this path and i've created planetarian life so that the path is so wide anyone can can i'm mixing all my metaphors here but (laughs) the tent's big the path is wide you know everyone's welcome but but what i believe what i really believe is that once you find yourself on this path and once you sort of committing commit yourself to putting one foot in front of the other however however fast or slow you go however small or big steps you take ultimately you kind of get swept up in it and you start Mm -hmm. kind of breaking into a bit of a jog you know and then you're kind of (laughs) running and then you're sprinting and then you know you find yourself I mean, even my own life is unrecognizable from the place that it was, you know, Mm. two years ago, four years ago, 10 years ago. Um, So what would, what would we say that our shared values and beliefs are? Mm. It's so cool to me. Um, Like the conversations that we've had and seeing all the work that you're doing with planetarian life, because it is a little bit of a different track or it is coming from a little bit of a different um space but i'm so inspired by the very tangible things that you're doing and and working to encourage people to do and making it so inclusive and easy for people and free from shame because oh my gosh have i felt the climate shame it's so easy for me to get bogged down and feel hopeless and feel like anything that i do is not going to move the needle at all and then I come back to, okay, you know, you have to start somewhere and then you start to see all the incredible things that other people are doing and you just, you just join in, in that. And it is going to take a massive community effort, but um, that to me is, is critical. I need to come at it from a place of hope, from a place mm-hmm. of, of love and um, otherwise I just get so bogged down. 
I was listening to um, another podcast recently that I love called How to Save a Planet. Um, and they were talking about, you know, if each person in their own context, no matter what line of work, no matter where they live, no matter what they do, could could find a way towards helping this this shift to take place um, because there is going to have to be a great shift. Mm-hmm. But he said, you know, imagine the power if each person just in their own context, you know, he talked about, you know, okay, so you own a dry cleaner, you know, what can a, what can a dry cleaner do? You know, like wh- where, and then he, he gave like five different things that, you know, somebody who owns a dry cleaning business could do um, towards just helping their customers see, you know, the small changes that we can make um, for the good of the earth. And what, and if everyone did that, and if you kind of extrapolated that, and I, I tell you the thing that gives, that truly does give me the great hope is just sort of really so deeply entrenching myself in this sort of environmental and climate space and seeing how many thousands of people who are truly dedicating, if not their whole life's work, significant amounts of their free time towards educating, inspiring people, whether it's about, you know, um, being zero waste or low waste, or whether it's about sustainable fashion or quandaries of the fashion industry, or whether it's about people who are passionate about composting or, you know, on and on and on the list goes. And you just think this is, this is growing. I think this is growing. And I think my hope is that more more of these people become more connected because I think you begin to really feel the power of that. I, I was reading, I don't know if you've read the book, All We Can Save, which I can't say enough about that book. Mm. I, I've been, that's another consciousness shifting book. But in one of the first essays, um, I believe it's a, a young writer, I forget her name, but she's like, so many people are like, I don't know enough yet, or I don't have all the information Mm-hmm. to be able to be a leader in this space. I don't have all the science down to really understand climate change or mm-hmm. environmental issues. So until I until I do, I think I'll just sort of sit back and be quiet. And I, I, I'm hoping that, first of all, I don't think that's true. And, and, and second of all, I'm hoping that we can all inspire one another to take the lead, kind of take the leap and then... Yeah kind of figure it out later <laughs> yeah yeah that's so true I was just talking to my almost 16 year old son about how you know when I was a kid I I just assumed that the adults had all the answers and yes. the older I get the more I realize oh no one has the answer and it's not really about the answers it's about like knowing what questions to ask and being okay when there is not an answer to that question no one has the answers. We just have to do the best with what we do know and what we can do. Yeah. When we know more, we do better, as Maya Angelou says. So yes. we just do the best we can with, with what we've got right in front of us. The fact is, is I'm still learning every day. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I am not an expert at all. All I can do is be curious and be committed to doing, to doing better when I know better and seeking those answers. And that's, I think we do the things that we do in life because we are most curious about it, not because all of a sudden we're like, oh, I'm an expert, therefore I'm going to go and lead all these other people. It's like, no, we we lead them in our 
passion for curiosity around whatever it is that we're, you mm-hmm. know, excited about. I love this idea that you don't have to be an expert. You just have to be curious. That's such a good place to start. And it's also a good place to end for this week. Uh, join us next week for part two of our conversation with Ashley, where we talk about how she found her way back into relationship with the earth and inspiration for how we can do the same in our own lives and in our own context. So we'll see you next week. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you have a moment, we'd be so grateful if you'd rate the podcast and leave a review. Also, take a minute to connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Planetarian Life. Head to planetarianlife.com for more recipes and inspiration and to become a planetarian. See you next week.